Amen. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you this morning. Uh, I am excited that uh, Dean and Abby and Lydia are with us finally when we heard that they were going to be here uh, in church on Sunday because I didn't know. I knew they were moving into town this week, but I didn't know if they would be here in church on Sunday. Uh, And when they said that they were going to be here, I asked Dean on Thursday if he wanted to preach this Sunday. And (laughs) he said, probably not this week. So we'll we'll give them a little time to get settled in and uh, we'll we'll, we'll ramp up our our time of ministry and get him up here speaking uh, sometime soon. But Dean, we're glad you're here. Uh, Thank you as well to all those who served yesterday at the Compassion Clinic. Uh, I'm told we had over 130 volunteers, uh, 113 guests, not only locally, but from around the world. Uh, So what a joy to be able to uh, use the resources that God has blessed us with to partner with churches around our community to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Those are the, the kinds of things that we would love to see more of happening in our midst, not only here at our church, but in churches in our community. So just a, a huge thank you to everyone who gave of their time, talent, and treasure to make that happen. I want to welcome you this morning to a summer of wonder here at Faith Covenant Church. A summer of wonder is all about exploring ways that we can open ourselves to the sacredness of life in this world. And we can learn again what it means to make space in our lives for the childlike gift of wonder in our lives, in our relationship with God, and in our relationships with one another. Wonder in the Bible is often described with other words such as amazement and majesty and glory and greatness and awe and and sometimes even fear. All words that attempt to capture the experience we have of coming into contact with that which transcends our ability to comprehend or control. Think about that for a minute. Wonder is the experience of coming into contact with that which transcends our ability to comprehend or to control. It's kind of like that moment you have here in Washington when you look up and realize that for the first time in a long time, the mountain is out, (laughs) right? And even if it's just for a brief moment, you're drawn out of whatever it is that you're doing at that time, and you're struck again by the awesomeness and the majesty of Mount Rainier. And you remember, even just for that fleeting second, that feeling of awe and wonder that you had as a kid, or maybe the first time you saw Mount Rainier in person. And then it's over and you move on with your life. You know what I'm talking about, right? We have those brief moments, those glimpses of wonder that are still there, that are still present to us, but so often in the busyness of our lives, we forget to look up, we forget to pay attention to the fact that the God of the universe has said that he is present with us in and through the creation that he's made, in the relationships with the people that he's given us, and every day and every moment in our own hearts through the gift of his Holy Spirit. The challenge that we began identifying last week in our introduction to this summer series is that as we grow older, we tend to lose that sense of childlikeness and that wonder in our faith that we once had. We trade our childhood capacity for imagination and creativity for a more grown-up seriousness and rationality. 
It's a, it's a seriousness and a rationality of adulthood that is designed to solve the problems of life in this world rather than to explore and experience the mystery of life. It's easy for everyday life to begin to snuff out those opportunities that we have for awe and for wonder and in, to see new things in a fresh way in our relationship with God. And yet, as we talked about again, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 18, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And what we discover is that as we begin to recover that sense of childlike faith, no matter what age or stage of life we find ourselves in, we begin to live again in the wonder of who God is and the wonder of what God has done. Last week, we talked about how one author has said that wonder will only emerge in the presence of reverence. And that if nothing is sacred in life, if nothing is worthy of, of reverence, then nothing will ever begin to evoke the experience of wonder in us. In the same way today, I want to spend a little time talking about how wonder will not take root in our lives apart from an openness to mystery. Wonder will not take root in our lives without an openness to mystery. That's one of the benefits of maintaining a childlike faith because faith is a part of maintaining an openness to mystery. Faith is necessary because there's so much about life and there's so much about God and there's so much about the kingdom of heaven that we simply can never comprehend or control. As children, we know these things about life intuitively. We don't have any false expectations that we're going to be able to comprehend all that there is to know and to, to manage all the details and the experiences of our life. We live in trust and dependence on our parents and our loved ones around us to guide us and to help us and to teach us how to live life in this world. Yet as adults, we are typically not comfortable in the face of things that we cannot comprehend or control. And yet, just as we have said, that's the very definition of what it means to experience wonder. So we have a conundrum, don't we? We tend to like things settled, solved, explained, managed. And as a result, we often lose our openness to mystery because we become less and less comfortable with things that are not within our grasp and our ability to understand and to manage and to explain so that we can solve them and we can feel settled and feel like we can manage our lives. But this, I want to suggest for us today, can actually become a challenge to our faith. Because at the very heart of the Christian faith, we're faced with the deep reality of mystery. In order to better understand what, what this truth is, I, I want to suggest that we need to explore a little bit more today what we mean by mystery as it relates to the Christian faith. Because I think often we might tend to think of mystery as something that we don't understand yet, but that if we have been given enough information or we gain enough knowledge, we'll be able to figure it out. You know, kind of like a, a murder mystery party, right? 
You go to a murder mystery party, and, it, it, and the mystery is kind of this puzzle that has to be solved. And you go through the experience, figuring out all the facts and the details until you can solve the puzzle and put the pieces together in the right order, and you can find the answer. And too often, I think that's our approach to life in this world, that we think life in this world is a puzzle that we can figure out. And if we can get all the facts right and put all the pieces in the right order, we can get the answer, and then we can be settled and in control of life. And then life happens. <laughs> when we think of mystery in this way, we tend to believe that if we can simply get more knowledge or gain more facts or gain greater control over the circumstances of our life, over time, the, the goal, whether we realize it or not, is to eliminate mystery from our life. Like maybe pre-modern doctors, right, who weren't aware of the existence of things like microscopic organisms and germs, right, and found many diseases to be very mysterious. But with our greater knowledge, we've left behind those practices of, of bloodletting our patients, right, or attributing their diseases to the four humors of the body or the phases of the planets. I mean, those mysteries have been solved. And if we can solve those mysteries, then maybe through science and through information and greater learning, we can solve all the other mysteries that we have, and we can be in control of life. And we can build this, this techno-utopia that someday everything's going to be wonderful and everything's going to be perfect, and we're going to be able to control a world of peace and harmony and love. It's a great ideal, right? And it's really the hope of the gospel. But what we realize is that we cannot live in a world like that apart from living in mystery. Because when the Bible talks about mystery, that's not the kind of mystery that it has in mind. According to the Bible, the experience of mystery is not like a, a blind faith that, that, that is about something that we cannot know. Rather, mystery is something that we can know and we can hang on to and we can be in relationship with even without being ever, ever being able to fully understand it. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls the entirety of our Christian faith a mystery, in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, he says, In him, now think about this. I mean, this is something we understand, right? I mean, we've, we've got this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of his grace, that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He may know to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Wow. Is that something that we truly can claim that we comprehend? Absolutely not. But is it something that we can also claim that we know to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mystery is something that can be known without having to be fully understood. The very salvation in Christ that we know and we claim still in its fullness remains to us a mystery to be explored and to be experienced and to be discovered in our relationship with God. 
There's mystery in the, the sacraments, right? When we come to take communion, there's a, a, a mystery, and somehow we know that the living Christ is present in us and with us through taking communion as we come together as the body of Christ in this world, or, or the mystery of who God is in his person. How can God be three and one at the same time? We can't explain it. We can't comprehend that, but it's true, and we know it to be true because that's how we experience relationship with God. And that's how he's revealed himself to us through his word. Or just the mystery of the incarnation of God in Jesus itself. I mean, do we really fully comprehend what happened there? Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 16, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. See, a mystery in the Christian sense is not something that we do not know. Instead, it's something that we come to know, perhaps even very intimately, but can never fully comprehend or explain because of the very nature of the faith in which we stand. Because as soon as we start talking about a relationship with God in Jesus, we're talking about having knowledge of the unique self-existing being, the one who created all that is, who is infinite in knowledge and power and wisdom and in love. He's the one who is transcendent beyond the physical world that he's made and yet who promises that he is imminent and present in the very creation he's made and we can experience him through the world in which he's put us to live by very the very definition of the God, who God is, we cannot comprehend or understand his eternal power and his divine nature. God remains a mystery to us, and yet he is a mystery that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are in relationship with because he comes to us as he is and he reveals himself to us. And so the existence of mystery in our Christian faith is not a sign of its falsity or its lack. It's a very sign of its authenticity and its truth. Because if God really is God, and that's the God that we worship and the God that we're in relationship with, then we have to admit from the very beginning when we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we are entering into a relationship with a being that we cannot comprehend or control. And yet how often do we try and put God in our little box of our you know, presuppositions and our faith statements that we can say that we have kind of claimed knowledge of the faith and our brand of the faith is the right brand and God forbid anybody else should think differently than our perfect uh, theology, right? <laughs> God is so much bigger than we can comprehend or understand. And all we can do is be grateful and thankful for the ways that he has revealed himself to us and live in the openness and the freedom of the mystery of who God is so that each and every day we are invited to experience him in fresh new ways as little children who live in the wonder of the amazing gift that he's given us of himself. We can apprehend God. We can sense him, we can recognize him, we can experience a relationship with him, but by the very nature of who he is, we can never comprehend God. 
And so the very nature of Christian mystery is something that we can apprehend without having to be able to comprehend it or control this, which brings us back to wonder, right? Wonder is the experience of coming into contact with that which transcends our ability to comprehend or control. And so wonder will not take root in our lives apart from an openness to mystery. One online article I read says it this way, the encounter with mystery is a crucial moment of truth. And if the encounter is received, it is a moment of wonder and exhilaration. This is the moment for which we were created when the finite comes upon the revelation of the infinite. When the creature comes face to face with the creator, when those born into a world of time encounter the one who is timeless, when a lost race is shown the path of life by a divine savior, that is the moment when the wise person ceases to try to explain and instead recognizes the limits of human understanding, receives the mystery and reverence, awe and delight, and worships. Do we understand that a relationship with mystery is the heart of worship? A childlike faith that opens us again to the mystery and to wonder is the foundation and the starting point of all worship. Again, can I suggest that the problem is that when our faith is no longer a doorway to mystery, instead it becomes a system of beliefs and behaviors that allow us to believe that we figured it all out, that there's nothing new for us to experience, and we become comfortable with the sphere of control that we've established around us, and we imagine that we've achieved for ourselves in this world that we live. David Benner in his book, Soulful Spirituality, writes, religion provides a framework for remaining open to mystery, which allows us to engage the unknown without needing to solve it. It is in this sense that wonder in the face of mystery is a natural source of prayer. Not necessarily prayer that involves words, but prayer that allows us to respond to the unknown with wonder rather than fear. The person who knows wonder is the person whose soul is deepening, whose spirit is expanding. Wonder enlarges us and brings us out of our self-preoccupation. Anybody need to be brought out of their self-preoccupation today? I know I do. It attunes us to the sacramental majesty of the world. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Wonder attunes us to the sacramental majesty of the world. You see, it's in this openness to mystery, to things that we can't always comprehend, that we are not in control of, that we can't necessarily manage, that, that brings us to a childlike faith in our relationship with God and allows us to experience mysteries sometimes so profound that the only response is silence and awe. We all find ourselves, don't we, in situations that we either cannot comprehend or can't control? I mean, isn't that part of life in this world as finite creatures? Think about Moses in the burning bush, right? 
Moses had been raised as a prince of Egypt, and uh, in a scuffle he got into trying to defend some of his own Israelites, he ended up killing two Egyptians, and so he fled uh, Egypt and uh, found himself in the desert as a shepherd working for his father-in-law Jethro, and so he's out in the desert, you know, herding sheep and doing his thing, going through life, and all of a sudden he notices something off in the distance. Is that a flame over there? Gosh, that's, that's, a, that's a bush on fire. Huh. You know, that, that bush is burning, but, but it's not burning up. What's going on? I, I need to go check that out. <laughs> right? So he goes to check it out, and in Exodus 3, verse, 1, it's, or verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, Moses encountered a situation that was beyond his ability to comprehend. And the only response was to respond in silence and in awe and to remove his sandals because of this sacred moment where he realizes that he's come face to face with the living God and therefore he is standing on holy ground. But if you think about it for a moment, if Moses hadn't taken the time to pause long enough from his daily routine and the work that he was doing and the life that he was living to check out this thing that seemed a little out of the ordinary, he may have missed the experience of the wonder of God who met him in this place, the mystery of this burning bush that did not burn up. It was interesting, I came across uh, an experiment uh, in 2007 done by uh, modern-day violin virtuoso Joshua Bell. I, I didn't know who Joshua Bell was. Some of you music aficionados may be familiar with him. But apparently he is one of the world-renowned violinists of our day, and he conducted this experiment that he called Stop and Hear the Music. And what he did is he dressed up as a common street musician and he went into a metro train station in Washington, D.C. and he played for 43 minutes in the train station on his Stradivarius violin that was uh, created in the year 1713. Six of the most beautiful classical pieces for, for the violin. What do you think happened? There's a short video. I want you to watch. It's about two and a half minutes, but check it out.
Interesting, huh? Out of nearly a thousand, I'm sorry, 1,100 people that passed by him on that day, only seven people actually stopped and listened for any length of time. And the one person that you saw at the very end who stopped and stayed and lingered, do you know why she stopped and stayed? She recognized him and she knew who he was. Now, I mean, we've got to give people some grace, right? It's rush hour, 8 a.m., Washington, D.C. People see street performers all the time. They're on their way to work and they're busy. But I think this is a wonderful illustration, and I love the video aspect of it because we can see in the video that sense of hurriedness that people have that we all experience, and we know what that's like, rushing off to go to work, to go to some place, and there's something happening nearby, and we might notice it, but then we just pass on by. The reality is, can we understand that, that in our hurried and busy lives, that we can miss some amazing opportunities to experience the wonder of God in this world because we just don't have the time to slow down long enough to catch it. But if we slow down long enough to linger enough time to be able to be present to whatever God might be doing or what God might be wanting to show us, we, like that woman, might recognize the face of Jesus in this moment and we can have an experience of God that we didn't expect or anticipate. One author said that the burning bush can be seen as a symbol of all creation. For the whole world is a fire with the love and the presence of God. Suddenly you turn a corner and you find that you're approaching holy ground. The very earth on which you stand has the potential to reveal God's presence. Each bush, each tree, each flower, each bird, every person has the power to open your eyes to the beyond that is right there in your midst. But the reality is that that kind of noticing takes time, which is the one thing that we are losing more and more of, is time. Allowing only a fixed amount of time to get from point A to point B so that we can accomplish all the things that we've taken on for ourselves to do means that we have to block out and miss a lot of things in service to our goal of being productive and efficient and successful and arriving on time so that we can please the people around us and that we can make sure that we're, we're doing the things that we feel like we need to do in order to make ourselves happy. And all the while, we find ourselves feeling more anxiety and more stress and we're less satisfied and we're more depressed and we live families and relationships that are falling apart, but all the while we go faster and faster, thinking if we do more of the same, we're going to get a different result, which we know is the the definition of insanity. (laughs) In this reality, we're forgetting that the more we hurry, the better chance we have of missing life, of missing beauty, of missing the importance of the mystery of life in this world and the value of wonder in our lives. Conversely, the more we notice, the more we slow down. The more we slow down, the more we notice. And so recovering the capacity for a childlike faith and wonder in our lives opens us to discover and perhaps rediscover 
that there's no real separation of this physical world from the spiritual world, and that because Jesus has died and given his life and risen to new life, the kingdom of heaven has come down to us and is present here, now, through his Spirit. Through the eyes of childlike faith, we begin to recognize what poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning penned back in 1857. Earth's crammed with heaven. And every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. (laughs) Only the one who sees takes off their shoes. Moses encountered a moment he could not comprehend or control, and he experienced God in the mystery of that moment. If you think about Jesus and his disciples, his disciples encountered many moments that they could not comprehend or control, revealing to us that this same dynamic of experiencing mystery in our lives can also happen in the very midst of the storms of life as well. It's not just in the good times that we can experience wonder, but it's in the midst of the hard times as well. Luke 8, beginning in verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake and the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. So he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, it says, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. The NIV says in fear and amazement. The NRSV says they were terrified and amazed. The New King James Version says they were afraid and marveled. The the message by Eugene Peterson says they were in absolute awe. When was the last time that you experienced being in absolute awe in your relationship with Jesus? When's the last time that God invited you to put yourself in a position that felt a little risky, that felt a little out of control, that that put you not at the the helm of the boat, but but looking at the waves and the wind and wondering if you were actually going to survive? When have you put your life on the line for Christ and his kingdom where where if God didn't come through, you didn't know if you were going to make it? Or have we conditioned ourselves to live such carefully curated, safe lives that that we sacrifice a, a, a portion of what we can give back to God, but we reserve enough so that we can be comfortable and maintain our own control of our lives? Do we understand that that when we don't respond to the invitation of God through His Holy Spirit to submit ourselves to His call and His kingdom and to go wherever the wind blows and to trust in the Holy Spirit that we limit our ability to experience wonder and amazement in our relationship with God? 
It's in those frantic and fearful moments of life, even when life doesn't go the way that we hope, that we often don't expect to see God show up or to experience wonder in our relationship with Him. Those times when we're weighed down by our circumstances and our cares and our debts and our conflicts and our society. And it seems like God isn't around and that maybe God doesn't even care. But if even in those difficult times we can remember that God invites us to have a childlike faith in our relationship with him, then we can move into a position of trust and dependence rather than comprehension and control. And that God will show up mysteriously in unexpected ways at unexpected times and reveal himself in unexpected ways. Because when God shows up and he reveals himself in these mysterious and unexpected ways, you know what happens to our faith? It goes through the roof. Because all of a sudden we recognize that everything we say we believe and all the things that we think are true actually are true. And God's real. And he's here. And he is doing a work that we might not be able to imagine or understand, but we can get in alignment with what he's doing and we can experience the joy of living for God's kingdom. Eugene Peterson said, without wonder, we approach life as a self-help project. I think that is so true. Without wonder, we approach life as a self-help project. That somehow we're supposed to create ourselves. We're supposed to manage ourselves. We're supposed to develop ourselves. We're supposed to be able to overcome all of life's obstacles and be successful and have everybody like us and have no conflict and have the perfect marriage and the perfect kids and the perfect family and the white picket fence. And men and women, life doesn't always work out that way, does it? Without wonder, we approach life as a self-help project. Without wonder, the motivational energies for living, Peterson says, for living well, get dominated by anxiety, fear, and guilt. And how much of our time, I, I confess to you as your pastor, much of my time is spent living with anxiety and fear and guilt. Because I approach life as a self-help project and think that I'm supposed to comprehend and control everything that I need to do. And so as we open ourselves to mystery and wonder this summer here at Faith Covenant Church, and we begin to see the world with new eyes, and as we clear up space inside of us and in our schedules to once and again engage the deeper sacred reality of life that is all around us, our hope is that our spirits will begin to respond with amazement and awe and wonder, which at its core is what we call worship. And worship isn't confined to one hour in a church building on Sunday morning. Worship is the lifestyle of the redeemed Christian whose entire life is now lived in service to the God of creation who has redeemed us, who has saved us, who has brought his healing work into our lives and has called us to go in Jesus' name on mission with him in a mission of love and grace to a lost and a hurting world. So what can we do? I just want to end with three quick things. As we start to dabble, 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 we dabble, we're dabbling, right? We're dabbling in wonder. And this is the beginning of the summer. And so as we prepare ourselves to do a little dabbling, 
to maybe change things up a little bit, I just want to suggest that from these passages that we've read today and what we're learning about uh, wonder, that we can start to think about how do we incorporate these things more into our lives. The first one from from the, the beginning is that we have to become open to mystery. And that, that might sound easier than it actually is. You know, wonder will not take root in our lives apart from an openness to mystery. So I want to encourage you today, don't feel that every aspect of your life has to be managed and comprehended and controlled. It's okay to not know what you're doing. It's okay to not know where you're going every single moment. It's okay to trust that God has a plan that you might not be aware of, but you can go with the flow and allow him to lead you to these places where you will experience things that maybe you never even anticipated. Recognize that we worship a God of mystery who delights in revealing himself to us in these ways and and, and in creativity and in joy and, and, and in love. Okay, number two, linger longer. Linger longer, linger longer, linger longer. Build enough time and margin into your schedule and into your relationships to be able to pause when these moments arise. When you sense that something mysterious is afoot, when you see a bush that's burning and something that God may be doing and maybe inviting you to experience something that you didn't expect, that you didn't have on your to-do list for the day, that you hadn't planned in your schedule... In the words of our downtown Sumner mural, live like the mountain is out. Perhaps one of the best skills that we can develop, and maybe if you take nothing else away from today, in pursuing a more childlike faith and in welcoming wonder back into our lives, it's the ability to linger longer. Linger longer with your kids. Linger longer with your grandkids. Linger longer with your friends who know you, who love you, who encourage you. When you go out for a walk, don't just count your steps. Pause and look at the trees. Enjoy the birds. Feel the sunshine on your face. Linger longer in this life that God has given you to enjoy. Don't just rush off to the next task and the next to-do in your self-help project that you're hoping to accomplish today. And then the last one, number three, is when you experience these moments of wonder, respond in worship. Respond in worship. Let God open your eyes to the lifestyle of worship that is available to you every moment and every day. Don't limit it to one hour at church on Sunday morning. Because wonder attunes us to the sacramental majesty of the world in which we live, which the Bible tells us is constantly telling us of the eternal power and the divine nature of the God who created it and who created us as part of the world in which he has planted us to live. Sometimes the only response required is the response of silence and awe and gratitude. And sometimes when we come face to face with the living God, that's the only response possible. So I invite you today, in the weeks ahead, and this summer, to open yourselves to the mystery of God and the wonder 
of the life that he has called us to live. Amen? Let's pray. God, forgive us this morning for the ways that we rush about in life. Assuming that life is a a self-help project that we are responsible to manage and to control and to comprehend. Invite us, God, to open ourselves to mystery in new ways and to understand that some of the most amazing and, and wonderful things in our relationship with you and in this life that you've given us are not things that we can comprehend or manage or control, but we can only experience as you reveal them to us in your way, in your time, and on your schedule. God, give us the, the freedom and the courage to linger longer. Help us to build intentional margin into our schedules and into our relationships and into our lives so that when we see those burning bush moments where our spirits are sparked by a new experience that we didn't anticipate and we hadn't planned for, we can pause long enough to realize that the mountain is out and that you are speaking through your spirit into our lives in that moment. And God, when you give us those gifts of wonder and awe, would you give us the freedom to respond in worship? To have an attitude of gratitude and and, and a response of genuine amazement and wonder at the glory that you're revealing of who you are in our lives. So that we can learn and recognize that every moment of every day is an opportunity for us to live in wonder and worship with the God who loves us, who knows us better than ourselves, and who gave us his very life so that we may experience life abundantly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.